And welcome back, or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. I'm Yogi Roth, joined by Ted Robinson. We're talking all things Pac-12 football. Ted, welcome back. You came off incredible Olympics coverage. My family was glued to it. Every time you were on, we loved hearing your voice, bro. <laughs> Yes, it was a classic of what my kids have long told me about, that I have a great face for radio. We were never on camera once, and that was to everybody. Actually, I was on a Peacock show with uh, Katie Nolan. That was pretty cool. I'd never never met her in person, but was on a show on the streaming service, Peacock, with Katie Nolan. That was the only time I was ever, uh, ever had to shave and and tighten up and everything. Um, But it was, it was, it was bizarre. Look, it's, it's bizarre. And it's something we'll get into later because I think there's a relevance to what we just experienced with the winter games that will apply to college football and some potential rule changes that we'll talk about a little later. Yeah. All right. We got a lot to get into. We're going to rip today about a 30 minute pod. Um, I think what's on the top of mind is we know the NFL drives so much dialogue. We are into the combine. Right. And when you look at Pac-12 players, Arizona State has eight players at the Combine. Oregon's second with six. SC, UCLA both have five. UW with four. Uh, and as you go down, uh, Utah this year only two, which is going to be scary when you think about some of the players they have coming back next year. And I think that Britton Covey, he didn't play in one All-Star game, uh, which to me was criminal, to be honest with you. But overall, NFL Combine is, is in effect. It's rolling. What, what are your thoughts? Like, Who are you excited about? coming out of that thing well uh, well i think the overall bigger picture yog is that you know over my time when i was uh, also doing nfl games you know, the combine slowly started to change a little bit because some of the top people just said, ah, don't need it don't need to go players yeah. me don't need to go it's really ramping up from everything we read now and there's a huge revolt going on apparently for uh, that the agents are driving on behalf of the players saying look you you guys have turned this into a primetime television show you know, the meat market thing of guys having to do 15 different, uh, I forget the name, you know, the name of the test I'm talking about, the emotional intelligence oh, test. Oh, yeah, the uh, Wonderlick. Yeah. Wonderlick. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that stuff's fading away. Uh, the players are starting to get more input into what kind of food they're allowed to have. Um, look, the thing has been a big party, and I don't mean that in a, in a, in a derogatory way, but it's been, been like a mini NFL convention for years. And I think that's going to fade. I really think that will continue to fade. NFL teams don't draft off the combine. They just don't. So, so if you're, if you're a guy that's trying to make a name for yourself, elevate your draft, trying to say, Hey, listen, I want to get drafted or don't look at me as the seventh rounder. I might be a fourth rounder. I think those will be the remaining players for whom the combine has value. Yeah. I think it's interesting when you look at the historicals for me, I said it heading into the season. I thought, the Pac-12 would have a record number of players drafted this year. Uh, the most in the Pac-12's history is 39 from, I think it was 2015, uh, players drafted. 36 are at the Combine, right? So you can presume that anybody that gets invited to the Combine gets drafted at some point. So we'll see how that thing goes. Uh, I- I'm really excited to, to track some of the big names. You know, I had a chance to talk to Daniel Jeremiah the other day and, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau, he thinks Devin Lowe's got a chance to be a top 10 pick. Trent McDuffie might be the first DB taken. So it's going to be fun to watch. Uh, and I think now is kind of the kicking off point for all the dialogue around the draft, which is exciting because it's also the kicking off point for spring football. And we know well, how what it we is. have about six, seven weeks, right, until the draft. So so now you're right. Things will start to accelerate. And the name, by the way, Yog that in the mock drafts I look at, and these are just all mock drafts, but you know, these, these are people that do it year round and I, I won't denigrate their effort because they do, this has turned into a business, full-time business. And you know, 
they may not always get the order right, but they tend to get the names right in, by round. And the guy who's jumping up is Drake London. I mean, yeah. he's jumped way up on the mock draft lists I've seen lately. I mean, he's always been regarded as the first rounder, but he's gone from the lower third. I've seen as high where he's been as high as 10. Yeah. And it's interesting because there are not a lot of NFL receivers his size. Yeah. Not a lot. He, he He's always reminded me of the guy at uh, Tampa Bay. That's the only, that's the only comp exactly. Mike Evans. Yeah. Mike that's Evans. The one, that's the one comp to Drake London size wise. So the, the one guy I think the listeners should pay attention to, and those in Seattle already know, but Kyler Gordon, I think he's going to shatter some records yeah. at the combine. He's a combine freak, vertical leap, broad jump, those types of things. Uh, keep an eye on him, long athletic corner who's really developed at UW. We know how many DBs they have kicked out. But, but speaking of the draft, like there was a world where a year ago, all all of us in the Pac-12 world and even nationally would have said, hey, Jaden Daniels might leave early, right? He went yeah. to Arizona State with a plan to graduate in three years. He did. Congratulations on that. And to leave early as a three-year starter. He left after as a three-year starter, but he's leaving now to another school. Arizona State, uh, we think all the coaching news there has settled with all the departures from members of that staff. I'm going to do the spring game, hopefully with you, Ted, in uh, – I think it's in April 9th. So it'll, it'll it's a night game on the Pac-12 Networks. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to obviously check that thing out. But what, what do you make of, of all the changes? Donnie Henderson becomes the DC after Antonio Pierce obviously departs and is now coaching with the Raiders in the NFL. Well, the, to advance the story from our last talk, Yogi, the most important thing I think that has happened at USC was the president of the university spoke. <laughs> Dr. Michael Crow spoke publicly and and. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, absolved Herm Edwards of direct responsibility for what's happened. You know, saying Herm, Herm has been, he's not a micromanager. He has delegated. Some of the people to whom he delegated didn't do right. So that's why, you know, it's pretty clear. Therefore, that's why Herm is still the head coach. The president of the university has come out and said, okay, it's, you know, ultimately, it's a hard, it's a hard intellectual con- or hard concept for me to rationalize. I should say because we do teach accountability, responsibility. The head coach is supposed to be accountable and responsible for what happens within a program. So uh, that to me is the most interesting advance. Um, you know, obviously we all saw. I think anybody that's listening to us has had some idea and some knowledge in social media of the reaction and the video that came out of the ASU locker room yeah. the day after Jaden Daniels went. So anybody that thought there might be a chance for him to change his mind and come back, I would guess looking at that video kind of doused that hope. Um, talking to some people I've spoken to kind of in and around Arizona State, they think it was NIL driven. Uh, who knows where he's going to land? Who has spots left? Uh, and, I, and I think it also reflects where you started with this, Yogi. Um, we, we, you know, I, I ran, I railed on this during the season. I was, I was kind of taken how off this past season was for quarterback play in the PAC 12. It reflects around the country in the draft. I spoke to the scouting directors of one NFL team in early December. And I said, just tell me about quarterbacks. And they said, there's really, and we're not in the market. He said, we're not in the market for one, but the only one we're even looking at is Kenny Pickett. And he said, the kid from Liberty Malik Willis might be, and I think there's a chance he'll go first round, but nobody else. And that, so therefore, if you're a Jaden Daniels, you might've thought this was the year to come out, right? 
because totally. it isn't a heavy quarterback class. You may have a better chance to better your, you have a chance to better your position. Clearly that isn't happening. And I'm not sure how next year's class sizes up, but this year's quarterback class is not very strong at all. So I talked to a coach in the NFL yesterday, a guy that both of us know, and he, he was asking me about Pac-12 players, which often happens when the combine comes. Hey, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of that guy? And I said, I was surprised that certain guys have left early. So Sean Ryan, as an example, I was surprised he left early as an offensive lineman from UCLA. Mm -hmm. And so we started getting this dialogue around players leaving early. And he said, you know, we're seeing the trend of guys wanting to leave early just to just to get it started. Like they're over college and they just want to try the NFL yeah. thing out. And to your point, it's, it's great on Jaden. Right. Or any quarterbacks this year, because if you look at next year, if we're going to project Bryce Young, CJ Stroud or yeah. one, two by a lot, right by a lot. And now I think it's fun dialogue out out west for draft eligible players. Like what is Bo Nix like? What is Cameron Ward like? Like it's it's elevated. Our, our play in this league at that position, I think, is elevated this year compared to last year. But you're right from a top heavy standpoint. These last this year and last year's draft are going to be two completely different dialogues. So I, I don't know. I, I, you know, you hear the rumors of, is he going to go to Missouri? I'm sure a lot of schools are interested in him that have a need at quarterback. Uh, I was surprised by it, having known him for a long time, because he was the guy, right? And Herm was his guy as the head coach. And I get like the movement and offensive coordinator. You know, he would have had his, he's on his third offense in four years, but you're going to go to a new offense anyway, if you exactly. leave. And he had killed it in Tempe, in mm -hmm. NIL. If you look at the local community, I mean, we put a bunch of it on TV, whether it was the Jaden Pizza or whatever it is. And I just think this is, and we got a lot to talk about, but I, I think this, for all the players listening in NIL, I get that you want to leave and go get paid. Go do it. I'm all for you, whatever your circumstance needs. But do not leave the opportunity, if you can, to have a connection to a school. Because that is what's going to, I think, have a long tail for your life, right? I'm not a, I was not a great player, but I'm connected to Pitt for life. Amen. Bo Nix, Bo Nix will be connected to Auburn for life because of his dad as well. So maybe not a great example, but he's not going to be connected to Oregon for life, right? It, it's just not, it's just not how it works. And maybe if he leads into a national championship, it does something tremendous, but so young kids. relationship, yes. man. Yogi, you're so right. Young kids. Watch Animal House. It's my generation, I know. But watch Animal House. Blutarski and Flounder, they were connected for life. That was because of their fraternity, yeah. which, by the way, was filmed in the University of Oregon. That wasn't the school in the film. But anyway, my point is, you're, you're right, Yogi. Your school and your teammates and then the alums you meet who are donors or supporters, just fans of the program, that's your fraternity. That's your lifelong fraternity. You'll have it. I've had it for 44 years. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean to make this, but NFL films came to my house, well, I don't know, about 14, 15 months ago and spent a couple hours in my backyard filming me talking about Joe Montana at Notre Dame yeah. for the show that's been airing on Peacock. We were the same year and they wanted somebody who was there. And who knew, and I casually knew Joe. And But I mean, it was around everything that transpired. That's the point. They didn't go to some grizzled old reporter. They didn't go to, you know, they, they went to somebody who was a student, a peer. That's my point. And so you're, you're absolutely right. And look, everybody's in this deal now, unfortunately. Um, 
and I'll give you some, some words from basketball season because it's the same thing in basketball. I had a couple of basketball coaches in the last few weeks talk to me about a variation of this theme. They said, what's going to happen with the portal until there's some rules put in is that you're going to have a ranking. It's going to be like your recruiting ranking. You know, the guys that put these stars on these kids when they're 12 years old or whatever. Same thing's going to happen to the portal. You're going to have one through 50 and one through 10 is going to be X dollars and 11 through 20 is going to be, it's going to be a slot. And that's going to be the, the going rate and IL rate for me to come to play for your program. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, many programs get eliminated when that becomes the case. Amen. And you know, what's interesting. Um, you know, I spent a lot of the offseason trying to talk to every school about what do you, what are you doing in NIL? What are you doing in NIL? And ultimately what most teams are doing across the country, not just in the Pac-12, is there's, okay, I want to recruit Ted Robinson from X school to come to Y school. Ted, here's X amount of dollars. Come on in. And within those dollars are five, six, eight, ten opportunities for you to connect to brands. But you don't even necessarily know what those are when you sign up. Like it's all about the big number. And then when you get in, it's like, okay, hey, so part of your agreement is a partnership with whatever, this website or this radio station or this car dealership or whatever it is. And then the kid has to do it versus what am I really interested in? And I think that we're seeing some schools flip in their narrative and maybe it's for a reason. Obviously there are reasons involved, but whether it's Stanford or Washington, they're saying, hey, what are you interested in? And let's build an NIL agreement around that versus, hey, here's a chunk of money and there's a bunch of options for you within that type of money. And that to me has been interesting to, to see it shake out and we'll, we'll see what happens over the next 12 months or so. Yeah. Hey, Yogi, um, let's pivot quickly here because actually about three miles from where I'm sitting right now, spring football's already started. Stanford yes. has already had a week of spring practice and my memory, which, okay, we can challenge my memory at this point in life, but my memory, Stanford's generally been on the later side of spring practice and spring games. They were first out of the gate this year. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch them. And, you know, I, I, I like how they do it because they spread out spring ball for, with finals, with spring break. So they get, uh, you know, the maximum amount of time to get in the 15 allotted practices. So their game, I think, is I think it's the 23rd as well of April, right? So it's not like they're going to play at the end of March, like we've seen Arizona State do in years past or Cal do in years past or Colorado in years past. But but ultimately for them, and David Shaw went on our good friend Troy Clarity's podcast, and I, and I loved the conversation where he talked about he reevaluated everything, right? Here's the guy who you could argue is the dean of our league. We call him the conscience of college football very often on this show. And he said, I'm going to challenge everything that I've ever believed. So I can't wait to see how that nets out, right? We know schematically, or we presume schematically, defensively, they'll make changes, right? They, they finished last year changing their scheme up from a three-man to four-man front. So I'm sure you'll see a blend of that this year, putting their players in the best position. They got some unique edge rushers, mid-year enrollees, some really young talent on the defensive front. Um, obviously, they have experience coming back at quarterback. Running back, the room got lightened. But they still have talent there. Is EJ Smith, is he a dude now in this league? And I think Michael Wilson coming into spring is my top receiver on the board of the Pac-12. So I, I'm excited because I still can't believe Stanford's a three-win team, Ted. I just can't I can't swallow that. Well, what, what you said just there, Yog, and, and I know I haven't had a chance to listen to that pod yet, but I will because but knowing David fairly well, 
it doesn't surprise me. This, the phrase that football people use in bye week is self-study or self-scout, right? I'm going to self-scout in bye week instead of always focusing on the other team. David, it sounds like he did a month or two of self in a way, team program, self-scouting, smart, really, really smart because it was needed. I think everybody around Stanford knew it, felt it, and what makes David special. And I think, again, just to look, you know, to, to break out of the recency mindset, look at the whole body of work, look at what David Shaw has done with Stanford football that has never been done before. And the quality of players that have played for him and have stayed in touch with him post Stanford because of the respect. And in the cases I've told the story many times, you'll see it on the wall of David's office. They use the word love for David Shaw. So everybody, I know the recency factor, the Stanford lovers getting a little panicky. Just think this is a wonderful example of how to take a step back because it sounds like David did. So Coach Shaw has often been on the rules committee. You referenced at the top of the show some of the rules that are up for discussion. What were some of them that you read, Ted? Well, what I I just saw this getting ready for the pod, Yogi, and I I was really heartened because the rules committees are are getting close to meeting because they have to put things in place. Uh, And they're really emphasizing on rules that will affect the number of plays in a game. And now we have to understand these are college administrators, so they don't often speak English. Um, And this is a... um, uh, it was a great was a show, Billions. I was just watching Billions, and there's a, a storyline right now at the university president, and he says, you understand academia doesn't make sense. <laughs> so I have to keep that in mind. <laughs> so the phrase they're using is exposure. We're trying to reduce the exposure to the players, which means they want less plays. Okay, we get that. I have been majorly on that train for a while now because, again, you just compare. Just look at your box scores every weekend. Compare the number of plays in the average college game to the number of plays in a pro game, it blows your mind. And I, for years have heard coaches rail about, you can't legislate that. And uh, I remember Rich Rod, when he was in the league, was big voice on that. Don't talk to me about player safety. And then you want to run 90 plays in a game. Yeah. And this has been the challenge. It's been the collision of what Chip started <laughs> with the up-tempo game that now everybody's used to it. It's that challenge of that to try to level the playing field. If I don't have as good a players, I'm going to, pick up the pace and pick up the tempo versus player safety. And to me, it all comes back. Well, it doesn't all come back to, but it still centers around something that I think is vital. And another big story I saw this past week. Did you see the release of the college football attendance numbers yeah. from this past year? Cratered, cratered. Now, if you're in the SEC, you don't know what I'm talking about. Right. <laughs> and if you're in the Big Ten, you don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, I full full understanding of that. Everywhere else, you should get what I'm saying here. It's an entertainment sport business. You sell tickets. And length of game matters. TV dictating every single kickoff time matters. And this is where I think the sport is coming to grips with. And they can't address it all at once. TV deals are in place. But I think as conferences like the PAC with new commissioner George in charge, when they come to the to the reckoning day of a new TV deal, I think that has to be, I think it has to be very much a part of this. Making the experience in the stadium attractive for people and not allowing them to just sit at home in the comfortable chair or be at a big party or go to a sports bar where you can watch 12 games at once with a group. How do I get people to still come to the stadium? First thing is make sure it's not four hours, yeah. okay? 
and not have to charge $50 to park and walk a mile from my parking spot that I've just paid 50 bucks to park in. All those small things collide. And the other thing, uh, I have in the last uh, five days, Yogi, I've talked to three different fans of Cal, longtime Cal football fans. You know what they're doing? Tell me. They're, go they're going to Notre Dame. I saw that, that announcement. Cal's playing at Notre Dame yeah. September. I believe it's September 17th. But anyway, yeah. Cal's playing a game at Notre Dame. Yeah. And it's a one-off game. It's not, they're not coming back to Berkeley, but Cal's going there. Cal's never played there. Cal fans are going crazy. They're all planning their trip to South Bend for this game because it's if you love your school and you love football, it's a bucket list thing. You know what they've all asked me? Where do I stay? That that's one of the questions. Two questions. What do you think the other one is? Where do I eat? What time's the game? Oh, yeah. What time's the game? I'm serious. They've all asked me this. What time's the game? Because it matters tremendously. And we don't know. Yeah. Yet. And this is wrong. This is what's wrong. And so, look, we work in television. Not foolish to this. We understand. But as the powers of college sports go forward, they have to work with the TV. And keep in mind that I still need to get people to come to the stadiums. And I'm, I'll say it right bluntly. It's in the Pac-12, it's a battle for us. And both football, and I've seen it in basketball season, there's too many empty seats and too many arenas. And to circle back to where we started, what did we just have in the Olympics? Studio yeah. sport. Yeah. Studio sport. Tokyo in August, Beijing, February. No fans or very, very, very limited fans. It's a hollow experience as a studio sport. We have that too often in the Pac-12 and we need to work collectively. We need to work to make sure that people still want to go to the games. You play, you, what was it like to run out at, uh, did you play, was it the old stadium still or were you at Heinz Field? I played freshman year at Three Rivers because our old stadium three got rivers. blown up. Okay. And then uh, three years at Heinz Field. So you didn't play at the old Pitt Stadium. I took a visit there when we beat Notre Dame. I was there for that game. Wow. Last game a, ever. I told I was a manager on the sideline, 1975, Pitt Stadium. Tony Dorsett ran for 303 <sighs> against Notre Dame. Ran for 303. Damn. Ran for 303 yards <laughs> against Notre Dame in 1975. There was no human being that was supposed to do that. Anyway, no. it was at the old, the old, the old Pitt Stadium. So you know what's interesting about that? Like, like so many things came to mind as you were talking. One is like the new Reeser Stadium. You know, they took me through like the three D. You know, put the goggles on, and you you've go seen through it. it, okay? Because yeah. Bill Walton and I saw it in uh, so in good, January. right? It's fabulous, fabulous. So you could see the area. I forget the the street that they call it, but it's a huge concourse where you can yeah. imagine kids playing and having drinks. Like it's gonna be a good time to go to a game there, a one o'clock game there, even even better, right? And then I started thinking about um, our experience last year calling Pac-12 games, student sections were up. Like it was it was off the chart. So you have to, to your point, like make the family experience that much better, that much more entertaining. So it'll be interesting to see how those rules. So you heard, my soap, you heard my soapbox thing. And, and by the way, the students in the in uh, men's basketball is where I'm traveling. Student sections have been great this year. Men's basketball, it's the fans that have been are short, and uh, so these these rule changes that they're talking about, which involve uh, the classic stuff. You know, why does the clock stop on every first down in college football? I told you that's antiquated from the 1950s when the home team hired the chain gang. That's how it started was to eliminate the home team advantage 
when the visiting team is driving late in the game to try to win and suddenly the chain gang stumbles and falls and they can't start play, but the <laughs> clock's running. So they put that rule in. Well, but that's antiquated. That's over with, right? Incomplete pass out of bounds. What do the pros do? Balls reset, start the clock. College, we still wait for the ball to be snapped and they're going to change that stuff, which will help. It will lead to the elimination of, of, um, of, uh, of, of longer games. You know, certain things are probably aren't going to stop. I don't think they're going to eliminate bands at halftime. So we're halftime still going to be forever. But what you can do is not add an extra three minutes on because we have to wait for the senseless interview of the coach running off the field. Right. And then we have to wait for that coach to get all the way to the locker room, which in some places takes a while. And that adds three, four minutes to half. Now, those are the small things that college football can address. So that if I go to a game, like I do a basketball game, I know it's two hours. Yeah, That's pretty good. It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's attractive. It's attractive to students. They understand it's two hours. Football, and what we have to stop, which we see it, I've seen it a lot, is people go to a game and they go for the first half. Then they go out at halftime. Don't come back. Yeah. Because it's already been two hours. And that and that's not a widespread thing. It certainly doesn't happen in the SEC and the and Big Ten. We get that. But in our world, it does happen. And we want to minimize that. All right. So two more teams I want to touch upon that are kind of sleeper teams. Uh, I had a chance over the weekend to go to Seattle. And I spent time with Jake Dickert. Washington State had a fundraiser. Uh, I emceed it. He and I spent a bunch of time together. Um, and did an interview with him. You'll be able to watch on the Pac-12 Networks on the It Factory coming up in a couple weeks if you check that podcast out as well. Uh, but it was really impressive because I met his whole staff. And the energy around that staff, they're, they're Jake's guys. And I had never really sat down with Jake. Last year, obviously, there was a lot going on. Um, and he's been going a million miles an hour. But he finally caught his breath for 30 minutes. And we just kind of had a cup of coffee and talked about life uh, off camera, just in just in general. And I'll tell you what, man, I got a great feeling about him and the direction that he has for this program, right? They made a lot of changes that, you know, had me wondering why, right? Like the entire offensive staff, right? Yeah. Brian Smith, et cetera. We know a bunch of guys already left due to the COVID-19 issue that they, they were managing up there. Uh, but he, I really like the staff they brought in. I got to know Eric Morris. Eric Morris coached under Leach, but he's a guy who believes in Ted, one of our favorite positions, a tight end. This is a guy who was a head coach at Incarnate Ward, and Cameron Ward. I, they're gonna, they're gonna send me. I'm gonna send, get sent up there in spring, and I can't wait to watch this guy deal because I've we talked about it on this show. Watch him a few times online, and this dude can play, and he is clearly the number one. Clearly the number one, like him, DTR, Caleb Williams, Tanner McKee, uh, Cam Rising. They're like clear number one. Amen. And how much how much better is that for the conference as a whole, Yogi, when you just ripped off those quarterbacks and you say that's automatically going to elevate from what we saw in 2021? Yeah, man. So it, it was really – like I walked out of that event feeling really good about their team. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen this year or we'll see. Like, we'll, But I, I like how they're going to build it. I like the vision they have. They have support for NIL. Um, I, I just feel really good. And I think Washington State fans should feel comfortable – in the direction that Jake Dickard is going to lead this team. He reminds me of kind of a young Justin Wilcox when he took over as the head coach of Cal. That's a great call. Yeah. And we were around him the one game last year. It was just before uh, Rolovich was, was let go. And, uh, and we had a chance to visit with him, but not to that level. So hey, look, Washington state, we all know Pat Chun has done a marvelous job up there and you have to hire differently. It's just, it's not job, not all jobs are the same. He can't hire the same way Mike Bones was hired at USC. 
And he did it in men's basketball with Kyle Smith. And, you know, that's a wonderful way to hear an early indication that he's on that same track with Dick. Yeah. So hires, I think this is a notable one. We bid adieu to a legend in Don Pelham in yeah. Pac-12 football. Yeah. An absolute legend uh, on every front from how he coached, where he coached to what he wore right on the recruiting trail or when he was traveling for games. I mean, just always dapper uh, and always so friendly. Right. Every time we saw him look in the eye, shake your hand, tell some stories. He retires from UCLA. He's going back home to be with his family in, in Oregon. And in comes Kenny Norton Jr. Yeah. And if you go back in time, right, Kenny Norton Jr., when he wanted to get into coaching when he was done playing, UCLA, as the story goes here in L.A., they turned him down. Pete Carroll at SC across town said, come on and be a GA. Well, he ended up becoming a DC in the NFL for the Raiders. Of course, the Seahawks the last couple of years, he got let go there. And now he lives here in Marina Del Rey. He's got a place. I was hoping he'd be the DC. I'd be, I was hoping he'd just get on that staff. And I'm so excited because I think he's going to, like, if you're a linebacker at UCLA or a defensive player, I would be in his office 24-7 because I think Kenny Norton just could and should be a head coach in college. And this is the time. I mean, you have DTR coming back, right? You have Charbonnet coming back. I mean, that's offensive side, but I'm saying this is the time for UCLA. Yes. And if they can, if they can pull defense together, right? And I know they lost some people, but if they can pull defense together, they have a chance. I mean, look, the the the, the division. I mean, other than Utah, right? The division is has been in scrambled. Yep. So it's a great opportunity for UCLA. Yeah, they they are going to be the under the radar team. Utah is going to obviously get all the pub, and they should. But just keep an eye. I can't wait to get there for spring. Yeah. Um, and then my last note, you talked about entertainment. I got, I hope you're there with me, man. Because uh, again, it's April 9th. But I talked to the staff at Arizona last night. We know what their spring game was last year with Gronk and Teddy and the <laughs> Guinness Book yeah. of World Records. I don't have any details, but all I was told is it's going to be even better this year. I'm sure those details will emerge over the course of the next couple of weeks. They start spring practice today. It's March 2nd. Jane Delora new quarterback i just think there's a good buzz they got about 20 some guys new to the team already on campus including the top receiver in the state of california uh in t-mac uh, another quarterback in noah fafita like i can't wait just to see what this team looks like let alone the entertainment which will be their spring game yeah that would uh, by the way as we're sitting there thinking why didn't don pelham's wardrobe rub off on aliote how many years were they together in Oregon, right? That. That's a great question. Exactly, right. I yeah. mean, they were together how many years at Oregon? Sam and Gary Campbell running the show, those two. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, but that's a great call because Don, Don Pell, I mean, those are the kind of people you really salute because they you know, spent their lives coaching in this conference and been around a lot of really good players and a lot of good programs. And so um, so anyway, this is it, what's great about this show. It's March 2nd as yeah. we're talking, and we're talking football and college <laughs> football, and I – think the, the the changes of the last two years have been a lot have had a lot to do with this it's becoming a year-round business amen amen all right well we'll keep it going i'll see you in vegas pack 12 men's tournament go get your tickets if you're in vegas you want to fly up pack 12 pack-12.com check them out ted will be there i'll be there for the hall of honor uh looking forward to that it's a lot of great players tom chambers is going in jackie joiner kersey is going in it's going to be the who's who of a lot of unique athletes steven jackson from oregon state he'll be there as well ah. Yeah, so a lot to talk about, uh, and we'll make sure we sync up after the men's tournament as spring ball will be fully, will be rolling all over the Pac-12. Thanks, Ted, for the time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Peace. 
thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.